Hello everybody, welcome to episode number 12 of Let's Talk Some, hope you're well. It's been great, it's been good again at the Let's Talk Some camp, a lot of cool stuff going on, a lot of cool chit-chats. Had a great guest on this week, Sir Steve O'Timothy, better known to most of you as Farmer Michael. He's a comedian who's been doing the circuit for a long time and one of his characters certainly based on the Farmer Michael has caught on to people, especially during the pandemic, especially during a time when people were isolated and people were looking for something to kind of cheer them up. And what better than a stereotype Irish farmer? Certainly one that's angry and likes to kind of shoot the shit on many topics that we like to talk about. Many topics ranging from football to, yeah, pretty much everything else. You'll get the gist of that when you listen to the show, but um, it was real great to have him on. It's good to hear you chat about comedy, about um, what goes into comedy, what goes into the preparation stages before shows, stuff like that. Also good to hear about the inspiring side of things, certainly based on um, a lot of traumatic events that's happened um, in his life and how in the adversity of that he's been able to get to the other side and make a name for himself not just in the comedy world but as an inspiring human being overall and to see that he's using um, the platform that he's created for himself to help make a difference and help a lot of charities and help people overall. And his appearance on the Late Late Show is just an example of that. He's managed to get to a platform, um, promote his own life experience, promote what it's like to be um, in his shoes. And again, what I feel is that um, he's a very humble guy. He knows kind of the position that he's in just now, but he's very humble down to earth and he wants to make a difference and he sees this as being an opportunity to make sure he's enjoying himself, having fun in the process, doing his craft, but at the same time, um, trying to put a lot of campaigns in a lot of uh, areas which may not be addressed as much onto a pedestal just so there's more eyes and more attention on them so really good um, perhaps one of the most inspiring people I've ever spoken to and I hope that you get a chance to check out the show and you'll be able to hear it yourself um, also check out uh, Steve O'Timothy's links on uh, Instagram and Facebook and his YouTube page. You can see all the sketches that he's done over the last couple of years. If you're an Everton fan, you'll love it. If you're a Liverpool fan, you'll love it. Scottish, English, everybody loves him. He's a really good guy. And check out the show. And subscribe and leave a review as well if you like what you hear. But most importantly, check out um, the guy's show. He's brilliant. Thanks again and enjoy episode 12. Set up, yeah, it's just my care, <laughs> yeah, my man. Damn it, um, yeah, it's the best, the best thing for it because it's soundproof, you know what I mean? So, perfect, perfect didn't studio. Even, didn't even think of that, mate. So, no, cheers for coming on, man. How you been? No, How's uh, 2020 been? Ah, a, f- a fuck disaster, clusterfuck. That's <laughs> ah, grand. I'm, I'm, I'm getting, getting there slowly but surely. It's been someone else. Eh? I mean, I've I've heard of a lot of people talking about the the kind of boredom that they encountered during 2020 and how you were responsible for um, curing that somewhat. You've been uh, getting feedback like that. Yeah, it's it's kind of 
you kind of don't believe it, but it's a nice thing for people to say, and you you do oh. appreciate it. No, of course, man. So I was just going to jump right in and start talking about the late yeah. late show, but I'll just leave it just now. I'll get to that in a wee bit. So, just in terms of twenty twenty, what have you managed to get done? Any boxes tick that you never managed to do beforehand? Uh I suppose I got I got well twenty twenty. Not really much twenty twenty. I suppose I done my cycle and raised a good bit good bit of money for charity, which was an accomplishment. But uh, yeah, 2020 is one of them years I never kind of want to look back on or see again. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, it was a tough time. The beginning of it was grand. The last few months were really shit. So yeah, yeah I want to complete... consign it to the bin of history. Yeah, man, it was a complete change. I mean, even even the first wave of lockdown was, it was interesting. And then suddenly there was kind of a contrast. It was good at first, maybe a buzz, if you will, in terms yeah, of like, it yeah, was a bit holiday, was it? Yeah, it was different. Yeah, exactly. A holiday, there was no stress from like doing our usual nine to five crap or for me doing gigs and the the anxiety that goes with that. So yeah, it was a nice break. And then came the second one and third one. And yeah, shit yeah. just went uh, terrible then. Uh, it's getting a bit it's getting a bit old now, eh? But hopefully we're hopefully yeah. we're on the brink of what apparently just gonna be. Yeah, we're getting there, we're getting there. Aye. Apparently due to recent news and all that, hopefully it's gonna be June, July, yeah. we're going to hopefully yeah. get some normality restored. Yeah, definitely. So I first heard the, uh, from your viral stuff, so I'm aware that you've you've done comedy, you've done acting, you've been on the gig circuit and that, so the Farmer Michael persona is the, the one that I've become familiar with and the one that's been talked about the most for me, so a question you've probably been asked a million times, what inspired and influenced that character, like where did it come from? Uh, just west of Ireland, country people, farmers, like having having a, a Roscommon dad and a Mayo mother kind of uh, helped that and spending my summer holidays down in like very farming backgrounds. And you meet you meet people like him all all over the place. And you kind of he's an amalgamation of all them kind of characters that would have crossed in my paths and a bit of a, you know, Obviously, he's a complete stereotype of an Irish farmer, you know, but he's he's like he's wrong and he's homophobic, xenophobic. You know, he's sexist, he's racist, but he's so bad at being them things. He's almost likable, you know, because he's yeah. like he's like your old granddad that doesn't know any better or your uncle that doesn't just just doesn't know any better. You know, he's he's stupidly so of everything. Yeah, no, that's it. Like it encompasses everything in, in, in the kind of current situation where everybody's PC. You've always, I mean, you've still got folk like that in a sense. It's like the farmers, they've kind of, you've got this mad wave social media world, but you've got farmers who are still where they were 40, 50 years ago doing yeah. the same thing. Yeah. So they've not caught up yet. So they've still got that type of attitude. Yeah. So, um, yeah, amalgamation. So you've brought that. Have you met anybody like in particular? So you've encompassed a lot of different. Um, individuals to get to that character but um in specifics is there anybody in particular that you kind of have any memories of that went that guy probably sums him up the best for me uh there's not really anyone that who i could say that is that person like the early farmer michael was a lot different from the middle farmer michael and he's a lot different from the farmer michael now so he's kind of evolved like the the accent has changed a few times the the way he does things has changed a few times. I suppose it just evolves as you do them. You don't see that happening until you look back at the very start videos and then look back at the middle videos and you're like, Jesus Christ, it was so different. I remember even like 
a few times getting ready to do a sketch and going like, I can't even do the accent. What is it like? I, I forget the accent. And I'd have to watch a video and go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is weird to say when, like, I made it up. But sometimes you'd forget the accent. It's it's strange. So in terms of your comedy that you've done, so um, was that one of your first type of people that you brought into the mix? Or is that is that kind of more recently? Have you been uh, bringing that character throughout? No, I would have been doing him for years, even in school and things. I would have yeah. done kind of... Any, any popular rap song at the time, I would have done a kind of Michael version of it. Not even with different lyrics, just rapping it as an Irish country person kind of would. And I, I used to do other characters as well. Like, and he's still, strangely enough, he's still, like I do another character, James Bernard. He's a pure, like, wide little council estate fella. And I do, like, the rugby, the rugby twats. And I do the Father Finnerty character. I do an, a, a lot of other characters, but... Farm Michael is probably one of the ones I didn't enjoy doing that much. And it's strange how he became the most popular one. So That's maybe it comes across that I don't really enjoy doing it so much that people can see the, I don't know, the kind of the stupidity of the character, I suppose. No, that's, that's ironic. It's like a band, eh? Like they've made a song or they've got a kind of thing going on and people like yeah, that yeah. and they've got sick and tired of it, but they've got to repeat it. It's kind of like an yeah. unwritten rule. I'm basically Kirk Cobain and smells like teen spirit, you know? <laughs> Pretty much, mate. That's it. Yeah. See, see, in yeah. terms of like, um, I've not been able to get the scale of like if America and that's kind of caught on, but in terms of like Scotland, England and that, have you seen it being better received in more areas than, like some areas more than others? Oh, definitely the wider Liverpool area. Yeah. Yeah. Like it picked up there madly. And then obviously with the Everton videos as well. And the fact that Michael Michael is a big Everton fan and he's deluded about how great their history is and how big they are. But they just, they picked up on this because like they were always saying like, oh, we're going to lose the match this weekend. But at least Farmer Michael will have a video where he'll twist it to make us always seem good. But like you're pulling the piss out of Everton, but you're also pulling the piss out of Liverpool and you're pulling the piss out of yourself. And it's just, I suppose, a bit of lighthearted reprieve from the the horror of being an Everton fan, even though it's not bad the last few, last while. But yeah. No, man. So what, yeah, Scousers have got a sense of humour, man. They'll be able yeah, to take yeah. anything on the chin. Have you ever spoke to anybody for Everton? Like, have they got in touch with you and kind of wanted oh, yeah, you to we do endorsements and stuff? Uh, we were over there and we got a... A guy. The tour of the thing we got a tour of their uh, the people's place and kind of uh, uh it was we met a lot of the players and everything so that was just that was incredible. What's your stance on Wayne Rooney then? Like, um, if he going going and then coming back, what's he like? Is he still hailed a big hero? Uh, of course he is. In Michael's mind, he's just brilliant. Yeah. You know what I mean? Me personally, obviously, you were a bit let down. I remember when he first burst on the scene and everyone was there, this fella's Irish. Like, this fella's Irish ancestry, Irish parents. You know what I mean? He will declare for Ireland. And then he didn't. Yeah. But that, strangely enough, that was the first video I'd done around Everton and Wayne Rooney. I was convinced Wayne Rooney was an Irish player and that's how that whole thing came about and we went viral on Twitter and like Liverpool and yeah, then it was like, yeah, this is kind of, we keep going with this. No, man, it's definitely caught on. See, in terms of Irish comedy, like what, what kind of comedy? So for me, 
Um, I mean, probably stereotypical. I mean, I wasn't a big fan of Mrs. Brown's boys, but Father Ted was just someone that struck a chord with me forever, man. That's someone that probably always goes down as my most favourite. Did you watch a lot of Father Ted? Did that inspire you? Of course, yeah, definitely. Father Ted is massive inspiration. It's just, obviously, with what I do and playing playing characters in sketch comedy, I wouldn't really consider myself a traditional stand-up as such because I portray a character. But like that and... uh, there's two lads as well from Ireland back in the 80s and 90s that were called Dumb Believables. And they really kind of done that as well because we were never used to seeing kind of Irish sitcoms. Yeah. You know, it's like when I grew up, you always had the usual ones, Faulty Towers and shit. And you could relate to the English characters somewhat, but you'd never, you'd never see those people. With Father Ted and Dumb Believables, you were actually seeing these characters. Oh, I, that's like your man on the road. That's like Mary up the road. You know, you were seeing your own people. So I've kind of brought it home. Now, that's the way it comes across. Did you ever visit Craig Island at all? Have you ever been? No, no. <laughs> I just said I visited, the house. I visited the house. It's down in Clare. All right. And your man comes out and he goes, Jesus, it's yourself, huh? <laughs> so that was kind of weird. So, What's it like touring like, as a comedian? I mean, I've done very small music-based things and gigs and that. And that's a lot of pressure. What's it like as a comedian? Is that... Um, is there a kind of the high same. pedestal and pressure? Just the same, just the same, really. Yeah, yeah pressure, and obviously, I, I suffer bad with panic attacks, so heightened anxiety and trying to, like, you know, in the back of your mind, everything's gonna mess up, and you're responsible for it. And it's not only, it's not only you worrying about your own set; you're worrying about your support act and your MC and everything that goes along with it, because, you know my name is on it so it's it's yeah. always going to come back on you negatively if something does go wrong so you're worried about that like big time see i never thought of it like that like, I, I thought like, when you've got somebody if you've got your name on the mark here your name and lights in terms of being the kind of headline act i thought that if you're at the, the top of the kind of the chain in terms of performance that you don't need to worry about that that's just going to be everybody else has got somebody working under that kind of echelon and that so you've got to worry about all that that's say. Uh, that's a unique perspective. I've never ever seen it like that. Yeah, because I, I I'm a control freak, so I yeah. I set up the tours myself and stuff. So mm-hmm. I'm always I'm kind of always on top of it, and I'm always the one putting a post or boosting it or checking ticket sales and worrying about that. So yeah, I'm just kind of like in my Irish tours, we have a a tour promoter who does all that, but in the UK tours, we tend I tend to do it myself and. Yeah probably shouldn't because it just puts more stress in you but you kind of you like to keep on top of things yeah i might not be everything perhaps in ways that could sometimes suck the fun out of stuff if you're just coming too obsessed you don't yeah. sit back enough to, to kind of enjoy it are you a big fan of the the process the creation process and the final product then would you say you like that oh yeah definitely yeah yeah, yeah. like there's no better feeling than when you have your set done and you have the gig finished and meeting people after like the panic is gone then because you've you've done it it's done and people are happy and there's a good feeling in that but there's also the counter to that as well you come off the stage and go damn it why didn't i remember that piece or i messed up that piece you'd be kind of angry at yourself but the show is so scripted to be chaotic that the crowd don't really notice that and when you mess up they think it's perfect and they'll laugh anyway so you always have that like get out clause if you make a balls of it 
No, you never really hear about that aspect of it. What do you do? So anxiety, panic attacks, what do you do to kind of cope with that before you go on? Have you got any rituals or anything that you kind of cling to to kind of keep yourself afloat all the way through? Just trying to, trying to like control my breathing, even though that's a safety behaviour and it makes it worse. Yeah. But sometimes I mightn't go into the green room, so everyone else will be up in the green room when I just sit in the car and try my best to like be calm and stop my legs shaking and just just using every bit of brain power I have not to completely freak out. Yeah, that's that's kind of cool, man. It's a sad kind of life in a way. Hmm? What was that? It's a sad kind of life in a way. Well, in, in kind of terms of loneliness, where despite you kind of being there, people are there to see you and stuff, there's a lot of kind of isolated parts of it where you've got to do a lot of your own kind of stuff just to get to that big stage. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like you, this, I suppose like there's a big, huge crowd out there waiting for you. Yeah. And everyone's drinking tea up in the green room and I'm sitting down in the car contemplating ringing an ambulance. It's a kind of a weird, it's a weird kind of image even thinking about it kind of doesn't it it feels sad like and it kind of is sad in a way i should be enjoying it should be enjoying there's a crowd there to see me but with panic disorder you don't see it that way no kind of kind of contrasts the vision that people have in terms of that because they think that the yeah. people yeah, the people who are performing their their name and their lights the names are going up there it's like they they're full of bravado they're confident they're calm collected everything's going on so yeah and a lot of people didn't say that i mean even bands, musicians and all that, you didn't hear that kind of stuff. You hear a bit about stage fright and stuff, but you never hear about yeah, yeah. the preparation stage. That's something I've not really heard personally. So that's yeah. not, cool, not cool to hear it, of course, but it's like more human in that kind of world, man. So that's, that's, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've always said I'd love to be anxious before a show or I'd love to have stage fright. I'd love to have that level of anxiety because to yeah. me, that would, be, that would be nice. You know what I mean? Yeah, sometimes, that's, yeah. That's, that's merited anxiety, you know, that's kind of normal. But to me, it's a kind of a, or for me, it's a kind of a different level of, it's way, way above and beyond what should be. And it, like people always say, then does it get easier? And it doesn't really. You always tell yourself, look, we did it last night. Everything went grand. It'll be the same tonight. You know it will. But deep down in your subconscious, them thoughts are still there and you can't really, you can't really get rid of them. And once the, like, you know, the fight and flight response is like one of the earliest things we have as an organism. So like it's deeply rooted in the mammalian brain. So you can't really turn it off no matter how much you logic it in your own brain. It's there. And you, it's such a hard thing to fight because, like I said before, it's your body doing it to yourself and it's your mind doing it to yourself. And you, like I said, you engage in safety behaviors, which only make it worse because that's saying to your brain, if I don't do these things, bad things will happen. So you're lengthening the the, the strength and the, the the duration of the attack. So it's a kind of weird thing. But then you do the safety behaviors because they do help you get through it. And it's about getting through it. Like, I know I should be thrown in the deep end, do no safety behaviors. And if I'd done that for one, one or two days, I'd probably, I'd be able to defeat the panic. But those horrible feelings that come with that can throw you back the other way and you can end up uh, getting a very, very bad attack and end up being diagnosed with PTSD and then you're you're messed up then for a while again. 
No, you don't you don't hear that kind of stuff often. As I said, yeah, you just see like Jimmy Carroll, Lee Evans and all that kind of folk. Like they're up there, it's like they're always meant to be there, but then when you see people, certainly in your circumstances, who's a bit more candid perhaps about it, um, you couldn't tell. Like personally, I've, through me observing you, you can't tell that um, that kind of stuff's going on behind the scenes. So talking about nerves, panic attacks and anxiety. So if you're doing that on stage kind of night in, night out, what was it like going on the late show then? How was that? How did that feel on that kind of pedestal? Uh, that wasn't too bad because I thought I'd be a lot worse, but I wasn't. And I was yeah. really surprised that I wasn't. Because I remember being in the green room and I felt a bit panicky and I was going to take a Xanax and I, for, I actually forgot to take it. Oh. And I went out and I suppose because like I was, I was panicky afterwards and nervous afterwards because now it's going to be televised yeah. and I'm going to have to deal with the fallback with the, ins, in, you know, the instant nature of the world these days. You get feedback immediately on Instagram, yeah. Twitter and yeah. Facebook. The people yeah. are going to be writing about it and people are going you to be saying things. It. Yeah, it's Once out there. It's, and, out, yeah. it's a thing I, I like. I, I mentioned my crash a lot of times. I mentioned my disability a lot of times, but it, it was one of those things I wanted to kind of keep hidden. Like even my disability at the beginning, I hid that. I wouldn't let anyone like I was. I was I was mortified if someone seen me in a wheelchair. Or I'd even move my crutches out of the way in the car so no one would see them. But after a while, I was just like, "Fuck that, it's me." But I suppose coming out on national TV to the biggest audience in Ireland, yeah, about kind of my issues and the accident and John John's death and stuff. It was kind of. I was I was shitting myself. Like I was shitting myself because I thought I'd be attacked and stuff. And I kind of knew in my head like I was ready for it because I'd kind of mentally prepared myself for the onslaught. But it never came. And it was kind of, it was very strange that it didn't come. I was expecting it. And it was like the majority, the vast majority of things were just nice things and really nice things. And I was like, this is strange. And then I kind of felt like, why am I getting all the kudos for being, oh, he's a hero and he's so brave and shit. And I'm thinking like, I'm not a fucking hero. I, I might be, I, like, I'm stupid. I'm an idiot. I'm not a hero. You know, you're not a hero for doing something like that and talking about it. So I kind of felt like the kudos was unmerited. And so I had kind of conflicting, conflicting emotions about that as well. So. And was that the first Jesus, time... I sound like a right mess. Don't I? <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 man. You sound fine. So was that the first time that you... I mean, in a sense of publicly, is that the most candid you've been then in terms of your like social media? We can always kind of write stuff on social media and that, but is that the first time you've been yeah. so kind of upfront about it then? On national TV of all places as well? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, I, I said like, once they got in touch with me and said they'd like to have me on talking about it, the first thing I said is like, like as we were talking with the producer and she was saying like, maybe not use this term or that term. And I was there, look, I always speak about it on Facebook and stuff, very raw and yeah, yeah. emotive. And I don't cut down on the, the language I use. So like, I'd like to keep keep in that in the spirit of that vein. So she was like, yeah, I understand, fair enough. So we kind of, there's a few things that had to be left out because I talked a yeah. bit about the nights I wanted in my life. And I talked about certain things and certain actions that I did. And they said, we can't put that in because we're not allowed to promote what is seen as mm. giving people ideas. So I talked about like, I went to the pier and I was looking at certain things in the pier and mathematically 
calculating what speed I'd need to break through the barrier to get into the water and stuff like that. And they said they couldn't put that in. And of course, that's, that's you know, obviously that's their terms and conditions or whatever. So yeah. they left that bit out, but everything else was left in. And I kind of, I just wanted it to be, the last thing I wanted to come across was insincere or that I wasn't apologetic. Yeah. And that was the fear that people might take me up the wrong way or, I didn't want to be seen as glorifying that. And I just wanted to be brutally honest. And I think it came across that way. And I hope it came across that way. So, No, that's, that's the thing. I mean, certainly given the kind of the traumatic experience and stuff that went on and the kind of circumstances that went on behind it, um, a lot of the time you're only hearing one side of it or you're only hearing kind of bit parts of it. So I think that um, although you, you do sometimes feel that it's unmerited, I think personally for someone who's kind of been as low, pretty much as low as you can go, um, a lot of people don't make it in terms of to the other side and being able to realise what's happened and come back and in a positive spin on the basis of being educational and helping others. So, I mean, what I've seen, for, unfortunately for here, we didn't really get clips to see the whole thing. So we can only like see bits and bits of it and stuff. But um, from what I gathered, I mean, you've got an audience in terms of the acting you've done. You've got an audience in terms of the comedy. But if you're looking at it now, you've got a kind of new audience that you perhaps didn't it was kind of unprecedented now you've got an audience you're 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 inspiring a lot of folk in terms of this is what it's like to kind of go really low down this is what it's like to have adversity but i've been able to come out and kind of turn on its head and although you've got your success in the kind of career that you're doing now with regards to where you are moving forward and how you can help people and i think that that's perhaps how it's kind of touch people's hearts and the, the, the feedback you're getting as opposed to being more negative. I think that that's probably why it's kind of struck a chord with people because it's real, it's human, it's uh, stuff in different circumstances that happens every day. Uh, and people need to hear it. I mean, TV studios, of course, have got their ways and kind of they've got to filter in and out stuff. But I think that the kind of candid and honesty is what, what people kind of need to hear in that sense. Yeah, well, I kind of like... I thought before we done it, like I was like, look, if we re if I reach one person and they seek help or they seek solace from from the interview, then it's that alone makes it worth it. And you know, I think I reached a lot of people, so I was kind of I was appreciative of that, and yeah. I got a lot, so many messages and so many texts and WhatsApps and DMs and stuff. I was kind of overwhelmed for a while, so it took me a long time to like to try and get back to everyone. So it was it was. It was like it was just tough emotionally, I suppose. Like being on the Late Late Show and then the following Wednesday having the documentary on, it was kind of a very, very roller coaster of emotions over five days that I kind of needed to just after just go like, huh, you know, Jesus, you know. So I'm I'm happy I did it. Of course I'm happy I did it. So I just hope people kind of, as you said, I might have gained a bit of fans for my candor and kind of maybe people might see that I'm not just a shouty fella in the car and that there's a bit more to me no. that I am human. I mean, have you seen any, I mean, in terms of not attention, not to use the word attention, but in terms of people kind of reaching out as opposed to comedy, have you seen more opportunities to kind of work in these types of fields? Like I know that you've done um, charity work in that as well, but um, in terms of kind of the rawness of what you've went into have you had people kind of reaching out and wanting you to chat as opposed to doing the kind of comedy stuff and that like go and talk to people people who yeah a lot of people have asked me to do, like yeah a lot of people have asked to do talks and stuff and a few like kind of secondary schools and a few kind of 
mature student colleges and things like that. So, like, obviously, it's a thing. Like, I always reply, like, I'd be absolutely honoured because you just, I don't know, you just feel like to be able to help a few people is a good thing. And you kind of jump at the chance, you know. And as well as that, like, even before this, I was kind of an almost a quasi counselor, psychologist to a lot of people who'd message me. And so that kind of ramped it up a bit as well. And yeah. like my own counselor was saying you shouldn't get involved in that because it might hurt you but I feel like I'm helping people and it makes me feel better about myself I know you know it's it's hard to kind of when you're suffering yourself to take on other people's problems but I don't really see it as that I see it as helping people and there's no greater feeling than knowing you've helped some like you really feel like you're if you're feeling worthless to know that you've helped someone it makes you feel like you're 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 worthy of I suppose worthy of life and worthy of existing no it does it's it's a kind of a selflessness thing a lot of people do it you do you feel a good purpose when you're helping people i mean yeah um do you read your comments i mean on terms of your videos i've been looking at your videos and stuff do you read your comments a lot at all uh i do sometimes sometimes i don't it depends it depends if i'm feeling delicate i won't especially on the comedy ones because that but I suppose they don't really matter much because they're commenting on a character. They're not commenting on me. Whereas yeah, yeah. in the interviews and stuff and things you put up that's real, you're more worried about the negative comments because that's me at my rawest. Mm-hmm. But the comments, uh, the vast majority of comments are positive and really nice. And But as always, like you could have a, th- you could have a thousand comments, nine... Nine, nine, nine of them would be good. One would be negative, and you'll take that negative because we're evolutionary, evolutionarily predisposed to find the to see the snake in the grass. Yeah. You know, you see the danger. That's what you remember. So it can be a kind of a minefield. So you tend maybe to look at a few of them, and then I'll check back in a half an hour again and see how they're going. And you know, no, I've, I mean, I've like I said I've watched your videos in terms of the character. I've seen. The real life version of you, I've seen your character, I've seen a lot of positivity in your character, like um, people talking about um, your character, your videos during the pandemic, it was almost like an antidepressant to them in terms of the shit that they were going through, so it's almost like a byproduct, I mean, when you're doing your real life stuff, of course, and then you're kind of slipping into character, I don't know if you're slipping into character's got the purpose that your real life has, but your character itself, whether you whether you've kind of delved into it or not, it's definitely inspiring a lot of people, like um, musicians. I've had people, like a guy called Nick Shane for Dundee, he kind of DM'd me and says, oh, you've got him coming on the show. Like, let him know how much he means to me in terms of what he's done and how his videos helped me through some shit times in the pandemic and stuff. So, yeah, that's like a byproduct of that. The character's there yeah. to laughs, but it's helped people far it's more really, than what really, think. Yeah, it's really strange to hear things like that because I'm always thinking back, Jesus I just done it six years ago. I just done a sketch in my car to ease my own depression and boredom. So it's 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 very strange how it's came f- full circle and it's yeah. you know it's actually helping people. And I've got messages from like people who have lost kids yeah. saying like that I watch the videos now because I used to watch them with my daughter and stuff. And you're there, oh. you're you're like blown away. It's almost like a kind of a like Jesus Christ, you are making a difference kind of thing, you know. And you don't you don't really think that when you're just in comedy that you can actually make a difference in someone's life or that a video or just the comedy in general could actually stop someone taking their own life and it's weird to think I suppose it's weird to think that a few oh just messing around sketches have that power 
it's kind of scary as well in a way, but obviously in a good way. Yeah, that's what I was about to say about that. So, yes, I mean, it's positive. I mean, in terms of... So you're doing your sketches, you've got your characters, you're taking inspiration from um, a lot of the kind of kitchen sink stuff that we all know from your end of the world to mend and so on. Like, do you kind of, does that alter how you go into it? Like, now that you've got more eyes on it, do I need to maybe change a few things so that I'm sending the kind of right message out? Or do you just tend to go into it as you always have and like, people know who I am, people know the characters, well, fiction. And that yeah, does. you kind of... Well, I always think about the sketches and I expect like when you're just doing an Everton one, you don't have to think about it that much. When you're yeah. doing a kind of title number one, you don't have to think about it that much or a battle of the sexes style video. You don't really need to think about it that much. But when you're doing something that one of the satirical ones where I'd be bringing up black, black lives or yeah. abortion or women's rights or gay rights and acceptance or something like that, you really have to you really have to think about it because obviously it can backfire and it can backfire horrendously. Like I've done one before about uh, disability rights and abuses of parking, the blue badge parking. And I was asked to do it by the Disability Federation of Ireland. And I, I, I just done in the sketch that it was basically, I'll park where I want because this is the international symbol for, I don't give a shit, I'll park where I want. And then I said, I said a bit about the old fashioned view of dis disability and disabled children that uh, disabled children shouldn't be allowed out anyway. I don't want to have to look at them because they make me feel uncomfortable. If we're going to bring a disabled child out, you should have to cover them with a tarp all and so I don't have to look at them. And I got fucking slaughtered. Like I got absolutely slaughtered by parents of children that have disabilities. And like I have a brother myself that has a learning disability. I'm disabled myself. But that shouldn't even matter. Like the fact is I was I was bringing forward some views that sat, that were very popular back in the day. And that sadly, still some people hold that view that, you know, being around someone that's disabled or learning disabled like makes them feel uncomfortable. And you're like, well, fuck you. Too bad. You know what I mean? But yeah, I got slaughtered, but you know, it ended up okay in the end. So when you're doing one like that, you have to really think about how you want the message to be brought across and how, like so many times I've been on Irish radio defending what I've done. So it's like, I don't want to have to do that. But I suppose with satire, that's going to happen because otherwise publications like you know i think you have news poke in the uk and uh the onion in america and stuff if it if it didn't confuse half the people then it doesn't doesn't really work you have to have people that believe that i'm sincere in it as well yeah so it's a, it's a murky kind of road like it says it's when you're when you're doing that kind of stuff although you're doing it i mean you're you're essentially bringing more eyes on it and I mean, indirectly, whether people see it or that way or not, I mean, more eyes, more awareness. I think overall it's creating yeah. a big kind of ball thing for everybody. So oh, yeah. um, it, it's a difficult one. Exactly. Because... If, you're, if you're making people think about the subject, then it's job done, really, isn't it? Pretty much. Couldn't have said it better myself. Yeah. So what have you got next? Oh, I mean, you can really do that. Nah, I, I couldn't agree more, mate. That, that's how I see it anyway. That's my perspective on it. I think it's bringing more awareness more people getting to know about it, more eyes on it, more awareness. It's less hidden, certainly in a, in a kind of society when in some cases a lot of things yeah. are still very dark. It's dormant. strange how like, even ones can backfire when I'm pulling the piss out of myself. I've done a Farmer Michael video about this fella called Steve O'Timothy who's doing a charity cycle. And I was saying if I caught him in his wheelchair, I'd push him off a cliff, but it probably wouldn't be wheelchair disabled. So even in, even in death, disabled people aren't equal. We don't have the same equal rights 
to suicide. And that, like, people are like, you shouldn't. And I'm like, I'm saying it about myself. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was Michael pulling the piss out of Steve-O who was raising money for charity. And, like, I still got kind of clobbered for that. But, like, that is a very valid point that even in such a thing as taking your own life, we're not even equal, which is a strange turnabout. You know, and it's a very satirical... It's, it's a thing I'd like to kind of write a bit more about for, like, typical stand-up. You know, and it's a kind of a, an area that obviously with my 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 uh, depression and stuff, it's a thing that used to go through my head that like in a weird way that like, Jesus, I can't even kill myself properly. We're not even equal in death. You know what I mean? So it's a strange thing. But yeah, I want to write. I want to write nearly a whole set about that. No, mate, like I said, you're bringing more eyes on it. That's that's the main thing, most importantly. So what have you got coming up? I mean, if we were to say 10 years from now, what do you hope to be doing? Are you hoping to kind of get bigger? Are you hoping to widen the scope in terms of comedy, get across to other countries, stuff like that? I haven't a clue, really. Jeez, in 10 years, I hope to be alive anyway. Yeah, man. That's one thing. If I'm alive, that's a good thing. Uh, I Like, I never really think too much forward. Like, we're organising our Irish tour now, and it's not going to start till February 2022, which is a weird thing. So, and then in in maybe the autumn, we hope to get over to the UK and do a few gigs there. So that's yeah. kind of the short-term plan of, short-ish, long-term plan of gigs and stuff. Video-wise, I don't know. I suppose you just, it really depends. You, like every few months you go, like people are sick of it now. I really shouldn't be doing it. And then you do a video and you reach a, a whole new audience. And then you realize that that's all new to them now. So they want to see more. Yeah. So you kind of keep doing it and you don't be like, you don't know, should I just stop or should I like, I've, I've been reintroducing some of the earlier characters, other characters I've done before as well. I'm trying to like reintroduce them. And then people kind of like, they just want Farrah Michael. Then you do Farrah Michael and they go, you need to freshen it up and do something new. So you're like, nah, you know what I mean? What the hell do you want from me? <laughs> so yeah, so I suppose you just keep plowing along and plodding along and wait for a topical thing that, kind of tickles my fancy and do a sketch on it and that's all you can do and obviously everything gives you endless comedy material so no you should keep doing it man i mean i think a lot of people certainly for the feedback i've had to see the response you've been getting and i should definitely keep at it have you ever had any plans like going to america what do you think the american audience would be like uh well on youtube like americans would be our top kind of geographical area and oh, my really? subscribers awesome. so we know yeah. people watch it over there and we know people get it so it'd be a thing i'd like to do but <clears throat> i'm very i'm uh i'm very panicky about flying i'm even panicky about going abroad like even going over to england i have to take the ferry with the car oh, and really? i even feel like i'll be on a heightened state of anxiety for the week or the two weeks that i'm over there until i come home again but you're kind of like look it has to be done and Obviously, with YouTube, a lot of my videos are unmonetized, unmonetized, and you make damn all from YouTube anyway. So, like, your bread and butter is touring and doing gigs. Yeah. So you kind of have to just, I suppose, swallow that fear and get on and do it and get home again. So yeah, it's a weird, it's a weird kind of existence, but it has to be done. And like, I'd like to be in the position where you wouldn't have to do live shows, but then you'd miss the actual meeting people and you know, the meet and greets afterwards and that nice feeling of accomplishment of having doing a gig. So it's addictive at the same time that it's my biggest fear. No, I think so. Do you remain optimistic? Do you think it's going to go ahead then? Like these dates, do you think it's going to happen? Uh, I'd say so, yeah. I'd say like, 
by August, September, I'd say it'd be okay. It'd be safe enough to start planning to do more shows again in the UK. I'd say it'd be all right. So hopefully, fingers crossed. No, I'm praying for it, man. I'm I'm just kind of getting yeah. to the end of it now, man. But no, I hope so. Um, where could people find your stuff? So I found you on YouTube. I found you on Google and everything. Where could people who have heard you and people who have not heard you, where could we find the best stuff? Uh, usually like Facebook and YouTube at, at Sir Steve O'Timothy. I can find it on everything that that's handled. So that's, or just Google Farmer Michael and everything will come up as well. So well it's all there. <laughs> you'll find me. You'll find a lot of crap about me too, but that's, that's Google, isn't it? Oh man, I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you for having me. I appreciate no it. No problem, time. man. Keep, keep doing what you're doing. Your uh, comedy's coming well. The attention you're getting, the inspiration that you're bringing across is really resonating, man. So keep at it. Thank you. I appreciate that a lot, man. No problem, man. You take it easy. <laughs>